When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So later this month, I am going to be doing a live event. If you live in the Bay Area, Jessica Winter and I will be live at Books, Inc. in San Francisco on July 29th to discuss Jessica's debut novel, Break in Case of Emergency. The book is a tragic comedy about friendship, family, and fighting for one's sanity in a toxic workplace. The event is free, although registration is encouraged. Go to slate.com slash live for more information. Uh, Hope to see you there. Come by, listen, ask questions, hang out. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence podcast. I'm Mallory Ortberg, and with us in the studio this week is Aisha Harris, another writer at Slate. Let's get started. Um, I wanted to talk this week before we went into our letters a little bit about uh, sort of a consistent stream of questioning that's been coming in, mostly through the live chat from people who are sort of curious. You know, I've got some trouble with my neighbors. I don't like the way that they're raising their kids. Um, uh, Nothing urgent, nothing where anyone's life is in danger. But the question has been sort of repeatedly, can I call Child Protective Services or can I call the police? Um, And it's not for something like I've seen a child hurt or, or in imminent danger of being hurt. I think the latest example was... Uh, I live out near the woods and I see my neighbor's kids playing in the woods a lot. And I've heard that sometimes they go into other people's backyards and I've heard rumors that they might be using other people's swimming pools. Um, should I call the cops? And and actually got a few uh, uh, letters following up from that from people who saying, yes, you should absolutely call the cops. Um, and I think that I would like to very strongly encourage you not to do so. Um, I think... Uh, that using child protective services or the police is is a hammer. It it often uh, results in um, pretty intense violence, especially for for people who are like not really white and well off. Um, and and to call somebody to use CPS almost like a toy. Like I think that these kids are doing things that I wouldn't allow my child to do. So I'd like to invoke the state and the authority of the state on this family. Uh, is is insane honestly i think that that's an insane thought to have had especially if you haven't even tried to have a conversation with your neighbors first like hey sometimes i see your kids in my backyard would you mind letting them know i'd rather they didn't um i think that that's a really important step before calling 911 or calling child protective services um there was also a letter from somebody who wanted to call cps on uh, a family who was homeschooling their children and they felt that they were part of a, a movement called unschooling and that the kids weren't getting the sort of education they should. They were, you know, literate. They could read and write. But they, again, wanted to know, can I call Child Protective Services? And while I really 
you know, want to be sympathetic to the idea that you should look out for children and, and kind of be aware if they're not being treated well. But they, the letter writer sort of specified, you know, the parents obviously love their children. They're healthy. They're well taken care of. They can read and write. I just don't think they're getting enough of a formal education. They don't seem to be sitting their state exams on a yearly basis, which is certainly troubling. Um and it, it sounds like they have a, a bit of a relationship with their neighbors, and it's absolutely fine to want to have a conversation. But, like, calling CPS, I don't know if everyone knows this, but, like, legally, CPS is obligated to look into every request they get, no matter how far afield it is, no matter if they think that the reporter uh, has a sort of grudge against the people. They do have to check it out. So that's, you know, a, a big waste of, of time and resources if if you're calling and it's not, I'm seeing a child being hurt. Um, you know, the, the sort of criteria for CPS to investigate often has to do with, like, signs of physical or sexual abuse. Like, uh, has a child sustained a serious physical injury? Are they at risk of one? Um, is the person legally responsible for them inflicting this kind of injury? Do you believe that somebody's been using child, uh, using a child uh, uh, for sexual exploitation? Are they being neglect? Are they not neglected? Are they not being fed? Um, so, y- you know... I just don't see how that fits any of those criteria. So I, I think kind of what this common thread is that's really important is for people who don't have a lot of experience with the ways in which the police can really hurt people, uh, especially in marginalized communities, especially LGBT people, especially black communities, especially communities of color, especially trans women of color. And they just think, if I call the police, they'll fix this problem for me. And I would really strongly urge those people um, not to think of the police like that. Um, it's it's not something that you should call because you feel like somebody's kids are playing outside too much um, or because you wish their parents taught them more algebra. I mean, I understand disagreeing with those. I understand having a conversation. That's not a matter uh, for the police. You know, you shouldn't invoke state intervention frivolously. You know, there's there's a lot is out of your hands once you call the police. Um, and, and that's really frightening. Like, you can really... Um, that can really lead to an out-of-control situation. Um, so I, I just, uh, I, I guess, to sort of sum all this up, um, don't call the police if someone's swimming uh, in someone else's pool. You know, talk to the person who owns the pool first. Our guest today is Aisha Harris, who's a culture blogger for Slate. She's also written for The New York Times and appeared on NPR, NBC, and the BBC, among other places. Most recently, she's written about Jessica Williams' Daily Show legacy and watching Beyonce sneeze on stage. Hello. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. Um, So while we're on the topic of trying to figure out how to handle disagreements or interactions with people who might have a different life experience than you, uh, our next letter is from an HR director who is worried about their coworker who's trying to be understanding but is, in fact, uh, being an active jerk to their other employees. Uh, Dear Prudence, I am an HR director at a small company. I have a coworker I normally get along with, although she has a number of extremely conservative views that I vehemently disagree with, but we're polite at work. Unfortunately, we're both in upper management, and most of our employees are low-income. Some are welfare-dependent. She doesn't understand what these employees' home lives are actually like, and she's upset more than one employee with her comments regarding how they should handle their issues at home. 
For instance, we have an employee who's struggling to leave her abusive boyfriend, mainly due to a lack of money, resources, and family support. But my coworker will say things like, well, if that were me, I would just leave. I don't understand why you keep going back. My boss is aware of this, but hasn't approached her about it, nor does he plan to. As HR, I would like to leave her out of the conversations regarding employees' home issues, but she keeps asking my boss if she can be a part of these conversations, and my boss keeps saying yes. Any advice on how to handle this? She's technically above me in both job position and seniority. Yeah, I was not (laughs) expecting uh, this letter writer to say, by the way, I'm the HR department. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the bizarre thing to me because I feel like as the HR person, she should have authority. Even though she says she's above her in both job position and seniority, I'm confused as to like why the HR person doesn't have a say in whether or not this person is involved. Right. I mean, in these it doesn't sound like this other person works in HR. So I, I think maybe put aside the issues of whether or not they've been there for longer than you. If you're the HR director sort of the the HR buck stops with you. Right, exactly. Um, and it is also just like, I, I mean, I'm not an HR expert by any means, but it seems like it's pretty, if not illegal, like unethical for this person if she's not in HR to be discussing these issues to begin with. Yeah, I, um, I'm sort of curious about this yeah. workplace where they're having conversations like this. It sounds like almost in a sort of formal setting, like talking with your boss about your your personal relationships, but... Maybe there right. are jobs There's where lots that of, happens. Right. There seems to be a lot of uh, lines and boundaries that are being blurred that mm-hmm. should not be. Um, I, I don't think I would ever talk to my boss about something so personal <clears throat> unless it was like actually somehow affecting my job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm late for whatever reason or consistently late or something in the family. But this feels right. very... Um, This doesn't feel like a healthy workplace. No, and I'm especially, I noticed that they said a lot of our employees are low income, which who's who's responsible for paying their income? Like, (laughs) yes, (laughs) that's that's sort of a big issue that I I hope maybe this HR person can bring up with the with the coworker in question. Like, hey, we're in upper management. We're getting paid like apparently enough to live on and and our other employees are not like that's kind of on us. Right. I mean, the only thing I can think of is, like, maybe unless they're, like, in some sort of government setting. Okay. Like, I, 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 I don't know why that would make a difference. but Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think the, the sort of most important thing is go to your boss, like, right now and say, hey, when this other person is involved in conversations with our lower-level employees, um, she says things that are uh, super inappropriate, um, totally beyond her scope as an employee of this company and, and you know— could cause real trouble for our company. I mean, like, I, I I feel like you should not have someone in your in your workplace saying things to you like, I don't know why you don't just leave your boyfriend. Like, that's not something you should be saying to people at work. So I think, like, number one, tell your boss she needs to not be on these calls. But it sounds like she the it, she says the boss is already aware of it. So, like, may, maybe, obviously, maybe it's a point of, like, not just making her aware, but saying like you need to fix this right like being um, being yeah. like take a stand say like because i think i think it was just she keeps asking her boss if she can be a part of the conversations and the boss keeps saying yes so it's not clear if if the hr director has said to the boss this is not helpful right um right so, so just be more affirmative and and make it known yeah. that you 
this person should not be involved in any way, shape or form. Yeah, no, I mean, I think any advice on how to handle this, like, number one, this is 100 percent your responsibility. If you're the HR director, like you've got to get on the horn. I can't believe I've said get on the horn and the buck stops here in this answer. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I don't know why when I get office questions, I'm very like, well, you know, at the end of the day. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like it's definitely your responsibility to advocate for these employees who like make less money than her, who don't have as much sort of institutional authority and are, you know, it doesn't help anyone who's trying to leave an abusive relationship to hear. Why don't you just leave? Right. That's not a useful thing to say. Um, That's what they're (laughs) trying to do. Um, So, yeah, like you need to like advocate for them because you're closer in in seniority to her you need to go to your boss if your boss is reluctant maybe document these like like keep keep a written record of like the things that she says um because it's always helpful uh to have a, a written record of someone who's doing something that's that's you know not productive or or actively harmful to other employees um and honestly maybe right. advocate for them to get a raise uh yeah if they're working full i mean time. it also yeah, I mean, it also sounds like it'd probably be useful for everyone to get some, like, more HR training if they haven't already, mm-hmm. um, just because, especially the HR person, because I, I feel like this shouldn't be a question that this HR person should be asking. Yeah, I feel I feel genuinely bad that, that he or she, it's not clear in the letter, that this person is coming to, like me, a non-HR employee. Like, I, I, I wish this director had more... Um, resources to handle this difficult employee because I think it's absolutely a problem and you got to do something about it. Um, and and I think, yeah, talk to the boss first, advocate for the other employees and, and talk to this person. Like say, it is not helpful when you tell people, hey, if I were you, I would just leave because you're not that person and they're trying to leave um, and you're making them feel like they shouldn't even talk about it and, and they should be ashamed of themselves, which is uh, shame is not a useful tool for change. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Remember, you can always hear more Dear Prudence by subscribing to Slate Plus. That's more questions, more answers, and more jokes about bad movies. Try it free for two weeks. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. So now for something totally unrelated. Uh, we have a letter from someone who's just started dating somebody who makes a lot more money than they do, and they're not sure how to handle it. Uh, Dear Prudence, I recently fell in love with someone who is wealthy, who could stop working tomorrow and still have plenty of money for the rest of his life. I am not it's fine. My concern is that if our relationship deepens, I'll have to adopt his lifestyle. He's building a home right now, so if we moved in together, I'd move in with him. There'd be no hunting for a place or renovating something together. I could probably never go in on a house 50-50 with him in our pricey real estate market, so if we bought a house in the future, something I'd like to do with a partner, I wouldn't be an equal contributor, and I'd feel like it was less mine. I'm not at a place where I can save up for a substantial fuck-off fund should we break up. Not to mention expensive vacations I'm not ready to take, nice things I'm not ready to buy, etc. We're not quite ready to have these conversations with each other, which is why I feel like now is the time to ask them of a third party before I'm too emotionally invested, a train that is accelerating rapidly. How can I lay a good track now for relationship equity later? Is this a problem you've ever had? I've never had this problem. I mean, I've 
had the issue where I, well, I've had a similar problem, although it was not by any means like a very wealthy person. It was just, I was younger, he was older, mm-hmm. like much older. So like he had um, more money than I did. I was still in college. Um, and so, you know, I I felt sort of weird about him paying for pretty much everything. Um, so she seems, uh, she doesn't actually indicate whether or not he like makes her feel guilty about it or whether he says things. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like they basically just avoided this conversation. So I guess my first advice would be, why don't you just talk about it? I mean, I know she says that she's not in a place to talk about it, but like, I don't know, maybe she could try, you know, if, if if they're the type of relationship right now where he's paying for everything, even like coffee or dinner, like why don't you try offering to pay that and then see where that goes. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think they, they obviously need to have this conversation if yeah. it's bothering her so much. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think whenever you're in a relationship that has a, a, a power differential that makes one person uncomfortable and the other person is either perfectly comfortable with it or doesn't notice it, one of the kind of unfortunate realities is it often falls to the person who's uncomfortable to first bring it up because mm-hmm. I have a feeling your boyfriend doesn't know that you feel this way and so would never think, hey, by the way, as you and I like move towards building a partnership together, does it make you feel uncomfortable that I have so much money? Like, I, I don't think <laughs> he'll ever bring it up. So, you know, unfortunately, at least in the beginning, it'll fall to her to say, hey, you might not notice this because you don't think about money the way I do because to you, money's just always there. Um, but I I worry that if this relationship gets more serious, I'm just going to get swept up in your sort of richer lifestyle and I won't feel like an equal partner. Um, mm. And to bring it up in a way that's not like, again, it doesn't sound like he's being a jerk. So it's not like I'm worried you're going to run roughshod over me. Just just like I have concerns about how I can feel like I'm an equal to participant. I do get a lot of letters from people who are like 10 or 15 years into a relationship like this. And the wealthier partner often just kind of unconsciously thinks, well, if I pay for more stuff, my my voice counts more. And that's right. a horrible kind of relationship to be in, I think. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a very real fear. Um, and and. Yeah, I mean, there is, I, I feel like that if you wait too long to talk about it, and if you go like five or 10 or 15 years to do that, then like resentment might build up, um, maybe subconsciously, but like when you have a fight or a huge fight, you know, that that could be the perfect time for them to say, well, I paid for all of this all these years and you haven't pulled your weight. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also... I also think that she should probably not wait until like a moment arrives where this becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. So like if they're pl- like, don't wait until you're trying to plan a vacation together and like he wants to go to this place, but you can't afford it. Like that's probably the worst opportunity to right. to wait for to to bring it up. Um, so I would say like, yeah, just bring it up sooner rather than later. Yeah, and and don't don't necessarily have a pin like you don't have to pin it to a moment. Um, you know, just casually, you know point out this is how I'm feeling uh and like you said you don't have to make them feel as though you're worried about them taking advantage of you you can just present it as like I have these sort of insecurities and and thoughts about it and and what do you think Mm -hmm. and then go from there and these are I want to stress too I think these are really legitimate fears and I don't I don't want you to feel pressure that this is to the letter writer any sort of pressure like oh I should just be grateful it's just an unqualified good thing that I'm dating someone wealthy and if he wants to share that with me, I should just be grateful. I really strongly don't believe 
in that sort of dynamic between people. Um, if at any point he tries to say, like, why don't you just not worry about it and let me take care of you, um, then he's not listening because what you're saying isn't, uh, I hate the idea of having nice things. What you're saying is, I don't like the idea of feeling like my lifestyle is going to get absorbed into yours, that your choices, your preferences, your history, your buying patterns is going to set the tone for everything we do as a couple. Um, and I either have to get on board or get out. I want to feel like I matter even if I never make as much money as you do. And that's such an important thing in a relationship. Yeah, I mean, and that's also like giving into that and and sort of letting it happen is also trying to keep up, as they may say, and and spending money you don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that if that is also something that happens, like say he's not paying for everything, but you are just trying to keep up, which I have seen some couples do. Mm-hmm. And the one person who like can't keep up but still tries, you know, that's a quick way to get yourself into debt, and then that's a whole nother. Issue, totally, um, yeah. When you kind right of combine there. like feelings and guilt and money, and you're thinking. I can't just say I can't afford this because that'll drag them down. Like, don't don't feel that way. It will not drag him down. Say you can't afford something. Right. Okay. Well, I'm also just, by the way, picturing that she's dating the little Monopoly guy. Um, and he's got a little <laughs> top hat on. He's just, like, scooting around in his little car, um, which makes this question a lot more fun. Um, okay. Well, I feel like we've fixed her entire problem, and now they're going to be great forever. Um, yes. And we have— Go forth and be happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jeez, well, um, sorry. No, don't apologize. <laughs> I wish I, I could have uh, disagreed with you more. Well, but, uh... damn it. Uh, <laughs> let's fight about something. Um, no, uh, this was great, and thank you so much. I know that you're you're at work right now, and I really, really appreciate your taking the time to be on the show. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate being on the show. If you ever come back, I will pick letters, and I will just <laughs> immediately play devil's advocate, and I will encourage everyone to just end their relationships and run away to the moon, and we'll fight. That sounds great. Well, I'd like to apologize once again for having a guest who is reasonable and of many of the same opinions as myself. Uh, I have once again let you, the viewer or listener, down um, by failing to provide you with the sort of no-holds-barred that you've come fighting that you've come to associate with the Dear Prudence brand. Um, Next time, it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, One thing that I wanted to talk about before we headed out for the week, uh, I was recently sent back uh, a version of the column from my editor who had a couple of suggestions, as is his want. Uh, And I realized that there's a phrase that I've been using maybe twice a week in almost every column when I start to answer someone's questions, which is, you know, there are really two issues here that I'd like to disentangle, Uh, which is such a stupid verbal tick. Like, there's always multiple issues, uh, and it's just something that I've noticed I'm saying all the time, as well as the word adjudicate. I'm using it too much. Uh, I I like that word a lot. It makes me feel fancy and smart to say it. Um, But I know that I am letting you, the reader now, not the listener, uh, down by always saying that there are two issues. And I'm going to try. Now that I'm kind of aware of it, I have a feeling I'm going to catch myself using it all the time. Like, I'm a little worried that I'll never be able to answer another question again. But there are always two issues. There are always two issues. You know what? I'm not wrong. There's always two issues. Uh, And the first issue is always like the surface value. Can I say this? Can I ask for this? Do I have the right to stop this? And then the other one is always, by the way, I'm super mad about something that I haven't talked about in 15 years. How does that apply to this? 
Um, and so you do have to disentangle those two things because those are two very separate conversations. And if you try to have them both at once, you're going to have a horrible fight. And if there's one thing I want for all of you, the viewers, the listeners, and the readers, uh, is is to not have horrible fights unless you are ready to have them. Like if you know a horrible fight has to happen, you're prepared for it, you're hydrated, you're well-rested, you have a, something to do afterwards, you've brought half a sandwich, so you're not going to be like hungry and screaming – do it by all means. But I don't want any of you accidentally backing into horrible fights and realizing, oh, no, this has turned into a huge issue and I wasn't prepared and I really have to pee. But I can't ask to leave this fight to use the bathroom because this is one of those fights where someone's saying, like, it's not about the thing. It's about the principle. And you can't say I have to go pee when someone's yelling at you like that. You you just can't. So in conclusion, life is a rich tapestry. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. iTunes is an opaque overlord, but we know for sure that reviews do help new listeners find the podcast. Plus, we'd love to know what you think. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence and accept no substitutes. Hey, if you want us to answer your questions, please call us and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 401-371-3327. And leave us a voicemail and we'll answer your question live on an episode of the show. We might even call you back. Uh, If you want, you can also record your question using the voicemail app or its equivalent on your smartphone. Please, when you leave us a message, keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Send it to us at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. I have no regrets about saying that all the time. Life is a rich tapestry. Uh, and it's something that I say to myself to keep myself from saying something much more judgmental. Um, it's just a nice sort of non-committal way of saying, you know, the world is full of so many things, many of which I hate. Uh, but I can't do anything about it. And I have to remind myself that it's all a rich, rich tapestry. <laughs>